We are I. Now that everybody sees, what I didn't want to say to you is that we've been recording the whole time and everybody's been able to get some firsthand of what it was like to be able to see um, what it starts to be able to start a podcast. So I'm so excited to be here. So you can say hi to everybody on Facebook right now because everybody on Facebook's already watching. Yes. Wow. Nice to see everybody there. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of, and just to give everybody some insight, like that's what it's like, you know, before I start a podcast and, you know, what it's like, you know, and the things we kind of chat about before we get into it and you know like is there's not a lot to it and I try not to coach the conversations down any kind of road we just have a general topic that we want to discuss and that's how it goes from there so um, as you can tell from what we were initially saying that we're just going to dive right in and you know this is so hail this is the man like this is the man that everybody's listened to for hours this is the man that changed my life this is the man that changed a lot of people's lives so uh, welcome back to the show so hail this is an honor an absolute honor Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to be here because the, the whole concept of what is the purpose of life has animated me. And it's one fascinating thing because I'm, I'm kind of in passion. My passion is on two things, both the material world and the spiritual world, because they are so much interrelated. And uh, because our inner spiritual values and systems governs our decision making and the body execute what our heart our soul has been wanting to do so very necessarily when you have inner uh, desires to do things you manifest it physically into the reality and that's how invention are part of my being <laughs> so i share my passion between two things inventing and putting in reality what our inner desires, spiritual um, kind of forces, insights are expressed into the physical reality. So that's basically how uh, passion has been driving my life. And I'm here to share some of the stories that... uh, (laughs) Yeah, and you know, it's like, let's talk a little bit about, because you know, we kind of segmented a little bit about like what we want to talk about. And you know, you've developed this mentality along the way, you know, you've lived your life by this certain code and you've honored that code. And this is, you know, how you've affected and this is how you've, um, you know, valued all these other people in a part of our global community throughout the course of your life. And this is how you've developed this concept of why you think we're here and, you know, where we, where you think we're going. So, um, like, tell us all a little bit about like the Baha'i faith, like what, what does this mean? Like, Give us, give us the Coles notes, like tell us everything you know about it, because I don't know a lot about it, but I, I, what I do know is, it's made you the man that you are today, and I love that. Okay. Uh, I, I'm very happy to be sharing. Uh, this is my personal view of the Baha'i Faith. Um, the Baha'i Faith came about 176 years ago. It started in Iran. And... Uh, it's a time that was, you know, it's, it goes a little bit earlier than that, where in 1844, 
there was what you call a messianic search for the promised one, the return of all the religions of the world. So it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, when you look scientifically and rationally, you wonder why all the religions of the world, Christian, Buddhist, Zoroastrian, Krishna, um, if we go a little bit in, in different uh, Islam, and all this faith, they were all waiting for a messianic return of their beloved, of their promised prophet. And at that time, a man that came and he proclaimed that he is the gate, which means the door. It's like John the Baptist. He came to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. A, a young man, 25 years old, very young. He proclaimed that he is the doorway, the gate, for a very great time in the history of man. A greater prophet than he himself is will come and he will bring unity of all races, colored, religion, culture, nationality as one human family. And we become a global. That means that, and also he explained that about every 1,000 year, we pass through a time of evolution, human civilization. Every 1,000 year, approximately, not precisely, but approximately, we go through a phase in which we pass from one stage, like a childhood, to adolescent and to maturity. So he explains that basically about 6,000 years ago, Abraham came and he brought what you call, uh, I, I go a little bit earlier, Adam and Eve that we all know in the biblical, but Adam and Eve are also talked about in other faith. And basically Adam and Eve are the symbol of how unity of the husband and wife, the laws and what will be governing the social relationship interaction and what the first beginning of what we call the word religion. Religion comes from a Latin word, religare, which means rele means uniting people, gare means God. That means that the purpose of religion is uniting in harmonious relationship people together under one God, the creator. So basically, therefore, there is both unity element and there is, there is this the unknowable essence that we call God. So the whole purpose of man uh, will be in one of the purpose is to understand what is my role, who am I, what am I doing here, and how am I going to express that unity in the physical reality and then that unity with the creator. So we will address that later, but at this moment. So basically, Adam and Eve are expressing the unity of the family, the first nucleus family. And then we go about 1,000 years later, 
and we go unity of the tribe. And then about 1,000 years later, we go to unity of city-state. Then we pass from the city, 1,000 years later, to the unity of the country. And then now we are entering the unity of the world. So we are gradually passing from kind of different phases of social dimension, from the family to the tribe, to the city, to the country, to the world. So we are actually, we are embracing the love of a greater. I love my family, now I'm asked to love my tribe. Then I'm asked to love my city. Now I have to love my country and now suddenly I have to love the whole world. So my love has not changed. It's just I have to become more loving. So therefore there is a transformation in me. My, my limitations that I had to love only my tribe or my country men, now I am told, okay, you have loved, you have learned how to love your family, you have learned how to love your country, now you have to love the whole world. So the whole concept of the Baha'i faith is that we have now entered a time which is the love of the whole world. And the planet, the beautiful blue planet that we live, this is our planet, and this is all people. So we are not saying that, oh, you and me and this and that. No, we are saying us all together as one family. And we are here to, to help that unity, protect it. And that's why I was telling you earlier that the suffering of one is the suffering of all. Mm -hmm. Because we are so together in this world. Look at environment, for example. When there is a pollution there, it comes and affects me too. We are all related. Even the physical reality, we are so related to each other. And now it's in the spiritual dimension that we have to emerge and come to that unity point where we are all adopting. And now, how am I going to transform myself? Because I am used to love my country, or I am used to love only my family, and the selfishness and the ego is sunk in me so deep. So now I have to go through a kind of cleansing process, <laughs> spiritual awakening, a consciousness that has to awake in me. And so I cannot do it myself. It's like in a mirror. A mirror is full of dust. It cannot clean itself. It needs an external force to clean the mirror. My heart is the same thing. My heart is like a mirror. I have to cleanse it. To cleanse it, I need forces that are external. I cannot be the cleanser of my own heart. I can participate in it, but I need forces that are beyond my limitation. So this is where every 1,000 years, a great teacher appears, and he's continuing the education of man. According, and he teaches only according to the receptivity and the capacity of the people of its time. That means that 6,000 years ago, humanity was like a baby. <laughs> so the teacher who knew everything, I'm repeating here, the teacher, every teacher knows everything. Every prophet of God, every son of God, every manifestation of God knows everything but they teach only according to the capacity and the receptivity of the people of their own time. The professor knows everything, God knows everything, he sends the teacher who knows everything, but according to the capacity, he gives little by little, 
just like a baby. You give a little bit of milk, and then later on, maybe you will give them some bread, and then later on, maybe you give them something more healthy than meat, and, and, and you go on. But you increase the dose and the ability of reception of the people as they are capable to absorb it. So that's why there's only one religion, the religion of God. We're not changing religion. We are evolving in the religion of God. Religions are like the chapter of one book of God. Each chapter comes, chapter one, you're ready, you read it, you understand, now you're ready to go to chapter two, then chapter three, chapter four. God is over-encompassing, is over-knowing, is unlimited knowledge. So he cannot give us all that knowledge in one shot. He gives us gradually and gradually and gradually. So he sends us teachers every 1,000 years approximately to educate humanity to go from different stages of knowledge, social, scientific, technological, spiritual, physical, everything is in, in, is in changing. We are changing, ever-changing. And so we are in an advancing civilization mode. We are progressing in our civilization form and every 1,000 years, we are getting the blessing of the love of God through his teacher. And the teacher comes to educate us gradually and gradually to more knowledge and more knowledge. And we reach a point in which our love becomes universal. We don't make anymore the prejudices that we have built around my, me, me, me. <laughs> the insistent self is reduced. And then we become, oh, we are one family, one global system. I need you, you need me. Let's be together. Let's work together. Let's cooperate. Let's make this world a beautiful place where everybody has a place and a possibility and an ability to develop their capacity. Now, it comes back to say, okay, why then me? What is my quality? Who, how do I fit? What's my mission in life? Who am I? I look at myself, oh, you're so ugly this morning in the mirror. Why God made me? You know, all these questions. But the me, me, me has a purpose. So we are going to talk a little bit later on who we are as human beings. How did we come to exist? And what's the next phase of our civilization? And so on. So yeah, that's the beginning. Of yeah, culture. you know, like, like I just trying to keep it all straight. So the the one thing I actually think is like quite pro, like profound is what you're saying. Um, is this is where I feel the social responsibility of us as like citizens within inside of our cities, within inside of our provinces or states, within inside of our countries, and with with inside this this global community that we have. Because you see, like the absolute thirst for the connection of a, un a united front globally. And you see this through, and I guess even like when the, the the primary examples we have right now is like what's happening with Greta and like the climate change, where it's uniting people worldwide. And what all of these movements like this have been doing have been eliminating our leadership because our leadership is so stuck and entrenched in like a tribal mentality that if you don't agree with just this one singular path that I want us to be able to walk down, then you do not belong to me. 
Like you are not a Democrat, you are not a Republican, you are not a conservative, you are not a liberal. Like you are not a Christian, you are not a Catholic, you are not a Muslim. You are not a Canadian, you are not an American, you're not a German. That's it. You know, but like the thing is, I, I, I think that us as citizens are starting to understand that no, I don't want to be just Catholic. No, I don't want to be just Buddhist. No, I don't want to be just conservative. No, I don't want to be just liberal. Yeah. Like, no, I don't want to be just Canadian. No, I don't want to be just, you know, Indian. Like, yeah. they're, like we want to start to come together. And we're seeing that when these, these leaders are starting to immerse that wouldn't normally have a voice because we'd have to use this, this you know, existential leadership that we say, okay, well, I'm going to put you in power to represent my voice. But when you get there, you don't actually represent my voice at all. But now we have these platforms like this one right here to say, we're going to take our voice back. We're going to eliminate you from the equation. Just like what Gray is saying, like, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to do this without you because you have failed me and you have failed us all the way along, all the way up until this point. So it's like, when people hear the way that you're talking right now, when we understand that, yes, we all can band together. Like there's really, there's nothing stopping us getting together and living a life as a global community because we can just do that. Like when I wake up in the morning and when I look, do I see myself in the mirror or do I see the world and my global community in the mirror? And that's the, the value, the absolute value that you've brought to my life that I try to look at that that when I see other people in all these different situations in these capacities, do I first look at it as a reflection of myself? You know, do I say, do I want to get stuck into why I'm arguing my point or do I want to just be a little bit more empathetic and say, okay, well, you know, I need to first understand where you're coming from. I will, you know, try to take myself out of it and say, you know, I need to approach this as our global community, not my position with inside of it. Mm-hmm. You know, where like my contribution is making that whole global community better. Yes. And you know, and that that's what I feel like that I'm trying my hardest to work on now. And that's what I feel like like Eastern philosophy and Eastern influence and like like us in the West, like we're I really feel like Western influence is, is some of the main reason why the wheels started to come off the bus of our our unity in our global communities and just like a better connection because we force the world to think it is all about just us what i have this house that i have this car that i drive my bank account you know like where i live you know like but getting away with just saying like okay well where can where how can we spread that out like how can it be a more about us and what can we all do to be able yeah. to propel our global communities like you said you know if, if climate change affects one person it affects us all if yeah. pollution affects one person it affects us all if food scarcity yeah. affects one person it affects us all the, the nice thing is that humanity there's an awakening and you know when a, a, a new teacher appears on this global scale our heart are being impregnated are being fertilized <laughs> with that thought that a new day has come a new dawn has come a new it light is. has come and so all of us we are being inspired so independently of any faith race color religion we know that there's a new air in the in the a new fresh oxygen in the air a new knowledge is sparking we are being inspiring each other and we are trending towards a higher aspiration so it's globally and the beauty is that now as you saw for example Gretchen, <laughs> this young 16 years old swedish that i admire very much 
you know, she is talking. I got called an Islamic Nazi for defending her on on social media. I don't know if a lot of people actually know that. I know some people do, but like this this guy, I think he's from Australia or say he's like a so-called philosopher um Nick something. I hope that you're watching it because I hope that you comment and so people can understand who you are. Um but he called me an Islamo Nazi. Oh, okay. And I, still to this day, and everybody that I've talked to, just I wish that he would understand that you can't be pro-Islam and pro-Nazi at the same time. Oh. But anyway, but like, but but what, what I'm basically show. saying is that this environmental group coming up and bringing a higher consciousness about our globality, our role into protecting our environment. And there are people in very various aspects of life, categories of life, different segments of life who are rising up and bringing awareness about our humanity, our togetherness. And there are other people who are poking into our <laughs> pressure point and making us aware that prejudice is not a good thing. And this has awakened people. And I'm not going to name any of them <laughs> because <laughs> they are becoming more and more in every country. There is one of them rising up and kind of uh, opposing the, the, the old, the, the, the nice way of doing things. But what I'm basically saying is that we are coming to a phase where the consciousness of unity is felt. Okay, you cannot appreciate light unless there is darkness. You cannot appreciate wealth unless there is poverty or the opposite. So basically what I'm saying is that the negative forces that are emerging today are bringing us consciousness that we don't want that. They don't want that makes us to rise up and become more activist because I don't want what I see I don't like what I am seeing on TV or I'm now hearing on the internet or this. I don't like it. This is not me. The fact that we are recognizing in ourselves that I cannot be part of that prejudice. Therefore, we are becoming a consciousness of unity is arising. It's the anti-unity that makes us to become more united. And so the force of darkness, the contrast helps us to awake because we cannot be on the gray side. You see, there is white and gray. Most of our humanity, we have come in the gray zone. We are not right. We are not, you know, in the lukewarm. Yeah. <laughs> we are not cold. We are not hot. We are in the middle and we are not sure exactly what we are anymore. Well, and see, and the thing is too, because we become this united front and we are, we are progressively becoming more of a united front all the time, like whether it's, you know, a climate change or, you know, like whether it's pollution or like LBGTQ, like, like people are banding together and the world has not seen a global protest of people yet. We've only seen that in the face of war, yeah, yeah. where we've gotten into war, World War One, World War Two, yeah. like, you know, like the United Nations, like these, um, when we've decided to say, okay, we're going to create a united front, but that has never been 
like in every country where there's been people in every country saying like, I am not going to stand for this anymore. And you need to hear my voice. And if you won't hear my voice, there's millions, tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people who are going to stand behind this because people are thirsty for it. People want unity. And we know, I think in our hearts, in our mind, we feel it where we're going now. We feel we are not on the right path. You're so right. And, And you see that expression, is from the individual but that same expression exists in countries for example the united nation was created as a consequence of the desire of the country to stop war it was created on that basis european union was created on the basis that we need to be united together so we can have a better economy but also a better peace so people are slowly getting away from war and seeking unity towards peace. And so we can see the peace movement and the activity around the peace are actually being actualized through governmental, which is more kind of, um, I would say, um, you know, collective endeavor. And then there's the individual who is walking now in the street as individual expressing their desires or their their wishes for a better world. So we can see that the movement of unity toward globalization is happening. Globalization, I like to make just a a paragraph, a parenthesis here. You know, unity in diversity is protecting the diversity of the people. We are all like musician. The guitar player needs to be very good guitar players. The flute player have to be very good flute players. But that doesn't mean we cannot play the same harmony, the same music. That means that the diversity has to be preserved. The uniqueness of us as individual with our own culture has to be protected but then when we're together we are in harmony with each other we're respecting our diversity globalization does not mean that we are making everybody the same no (laughs) and i think what but we're we were forced to think that and i think there's still like a, a big part of us that want to believe that's what globalization means because it was that I'm going to go to North America because they live this way, which is different than the way I'm living now. I'm going to be Christian because I'm Catholic now and I don't want to be that way. Like it had to be a certain way, like you had to fall in this lane. But like that's how I look at globalization too is that, you know, and you had it. It's like it's an orchestra. It's a symphony, you know, like where we go and everybody has their role. Everybody is doing their thing. We just drop the borders and the boundaries and like the you're right, I'm wrong, my way, your way. And we start to collectivize and say we are still all on this planet together. The only thing that makes it hard to live is just like when there's that one part of it that's just not right. And you know, if we did truly bend together as a planet, like what you did for the, you know, all these countries, if we had more people that were willing to do that, like Doctors Without Borders, you know, like the exactly, work that you did, exactly. we could help and we could bring these exactly. places up and we would have that better global community. That's right. But again, we're so entrenched in thinking that I have to only worry about me. I have to only do what I am going to do to further me and my family, not my global family, when we don't really look at it like that at all. But the, we're starting to break those shackles now and you see it because people want to be a part 
of a global community, they realize that I can say, I agree with this, but I can still be me. Yes. And I don't have to agree with everything that you're saying, and I can still be a part of this community. That's right. It's like giving everybody an opportunity of work, identity, faith, belief. You have, you have your own kind of circle of human rights that are protected for each individual. But also we have collective endeavor in which we need to create environment in which everybody is safe and secure in an environment. Now, let's go back a little bit about, about what is about this life, who we are, and where are we going. It's fundamental because if we get a feeling of truly who we are, we get so excited about who we are as human beings. <laughs> you know, okay, let's go back maybe. It's a very loaded question. What's the purpose of life? So loaded. But at the same time, it's fascinating that there are possible answers to that. For some, it's my opinion, but it's also based on the Baha'i principle. Okay, here's the idea. Is that we have both to develop our own inner qualities to be a greater service for a very large service-oriented which is the outside world, the development around us. But at the same time, all this development, inner and outer, are not a permanent solution. We are more than a physical body. We are actually a spiritual being with a physical body for a very short time. And I'm going to express that. <laughs> we are spiritual being. In what sense? Okay, I'm going to give a metaphor that we often use in the Baha'i writings to understand how we are. Okay, look at the womb in the matrix, in the mother's womb. The baby, the fetus, is born and gradually develops hands and legs in the womb of the mother. It's very cozy, warm in the womb of the mother, but for some reason, the baby has hands and legs these hands and legs are not going to be used for the womb of the mother. They are being preparing itself for coming out to the next world, which is out of the mother's womb. So the baby is preparing everything ready for the next phase of its evolution, which is to come in this world. The same thing, this world is a big school and we're here to learn so many things not to stay permanently in this world, but to evolve to the next phase of our spiritual evolution. So basically, the same thing that we pass through different phases from the womb to this world, this world to the next, this is a pathway toward more evolution of our soul. Our physical reality is just a cocoon that is protecting us so that we learn, we acquire spiritual qualities during our phase in this planetary condition we live. And how do I develop my qualities that I will need for the next world? Now, if I don't develop the qualities, it's like I am a disabled person. I don't have a leg, I don't have an eye, I don't have... In the womb of the mother, if I don't acquire those qualities, 
then when I emerge in this world, I feel physically disabled. The same thing, I have to acquire spiritual qualities in this world. So when I go in my permanent residence with the spiritual world, what we call heaven or whatever, we'll talk about that too. <laughs> I need to have the qualities because I'm here for about 100 years. But next step is for millions of years is eternal life. So I better gain those qualities in this world as I am still that ability, this ability and this occasion, opportunity to develop qualities that I need for the next world. Now, what are the qualities that I need for the next world? What are the legs, hands and legs, eyes that I need for the next world? <laughs> qualities like justice, love, passion. And there's about 360 virtues that we have to acquire so that we get ready for the next world. Now, when we go to the next world, I haven't been there. <laughs> but I read from the Holy Writing. And I see that all of them confirm that after this world, there is another world waiting. Now, should I put a lot of attention to that? Well, yes, I do. The reason for it is that as I acquire these qualities around me in this world, I also benefit in this world. Being nicer person, being more compassionate, being more friendly, being more uh, you know, honest, helps me to actually develop better relationship in this world. And so I benefit both in this world. And if there is another world, then I am ready also for the next world. So the chances that I benefit both in this world and the next world are much higher. Now, there are scientists such as, for example, um, Dr. Moody, who did a study of 3,000 people who, have, who had near-death experience. And these are people who actually clinically died. And Dr. Moody, did a study, a survey of 3,000, wrote a book about, the book is called Life After Life. By the way, you can see it on YouTube. It's extraordinary. And he, in the movie, in the documentary, he uh, interviewed six people who actually had near-death experience, total death according to clinical and medical. One of them was, for example, a Russian who died because he was killed by the KGB. He was a scientist who wanted to go to America. The KGB didn't want him to let go. But anyway, they make a car accident. He was killed by the car. A day and a half, about two days later, they did an autopsy on him. As they were going to put and open, you know, open his stomach for the autopsy, he woke up. Now, after two days in the morgue, you know, in the cold, he was dead and clinically dead, everything dead. Now suddenly he, he is reborn, kind of. And so they ask him, do you remember anything after two days you were dead and you went to the next world and you came back? And he tells his story, what happened in the next world. And there are the six of them in that movie documentary talk about what was their experience in the next world and what they saw, what they see, what they experienced. So the reason why I bring that here is that it confirms that actually these 3,000 people who had near-death experience, it's all confirmed that actually we are spiritual beings. And we are here for a very short time to pass through this life, to acquire spiritual qualities, because in the next world, 
is the spiritual qualities that will help us to go to the next level of our destiny. What is our destiny? It's beautiful. It's glorious. We don't know. We don't appreciate who we are as human beings. We have been given gift from this loving creator who loves us so much that he gave us total freedom. It's called free will. He says, I love you so much that I let you have the freedom to choose your own pathway towards me and towards your own goodness. So this is, this is a love. Because, listen, if it was not love, if I say that I, am, I love you, I create you, and you are going to be a robot, and you are only going to do what I want you to do, you have no free will. You are just doing like a robot, following instruction, so you have no, you know, like Nietzsche, who said, I think, therefore I am. I have that freedom to think. I have that freedom to do things. But the Creator loves us to that degree that He gives us freedom and He trusts us that you will find your own pathway. Go experience life, have tough times, have good times, and out of that, decipher the code. Find a way why you have been created. Find your own path towards me, your Creator who loves you and who is waiting for you after this material world that the cocoon is being broken, the butterfly will fly, <laughs> the same thing with the soul. Now, the beauty is that it's like a bird in a cage. When you break the cage, you are not actually destroying the bird. You are actually freeing the bird. The same thing, death. Death is like breaking the cage so that the bird <laughs> can fly free and finally fly rather than walk in the cage. The same thing with our soul, our spirit. We are here to acquire the qualities and then when the cage is broken, we finally are able to release our soul. Let of me course. ask you a question real yeah, quick. Yeah. So you made references and like we all know it's like that we're going through like a change and like obviously, you know, like you know, like no matter what you believe in, what anybody believes in, what happens like after we die, it is a shedding of our physical being. You know, like whether or not you just disintegrate into the ground or you ascend up to heaven. Like anywhere in between those two um, extremes is you have people's beliefs. But we're also in real time right now living this situation that you've kind of like outlined that how things kind of change every thousand years. So we're starting to unite more globally, but this is also at the same time where we're shedding our physical selves. We do not need our physical self to be able to connect anymore. I don't need to walk my physical self to the next person's physical self to be able to communicate. I can communicate artificially the way that we're communicating with all these people on Facebook <laughs> and YouTube right now. Yeah. You know, so, but again, like, we're shedding the physical side of what we would need to be able to either disintegrate into the ground or to ascend up to heaven in real time right now because we have this ability to be able to understand who we are emotionally once we shed ourselves physically. But the thing is when you look at it and look, looking at what happens with like social media and you know like all these online platforms where we are truly tested, our character is tested. 
So if you want to look at free will, free will is the ability to be able to live my life the way that I want it to. Then you send people free into a forum where there's no physical repercussions of their actions. They're truly tested on their character and the ultimate reality of free will. Because I can say what I want, I can do what I want, I can post what I want, I can love how I want, I can intimidate how I want. But we're not using it properly. That's right. Okay. So do you look at this yeah. as like a, oh, a beginning a of like how, here. I know, this is why when you were talking, I'm just like, I got to get this in. Yeah. So, but like my, my point behind that is, is like, do we see that we don't have the proper tools yet? Yes. Or we understand these tools. We understand, I want to love you. But the way that we've gone about trying to do that so far allows a lot of people to initially say, I want to attack you first. Because we see this on social media all the time. And like this is a way again for us to shed ourselves physically and be tested emotionally, be tested intellectually, be tested in these environments, which the same way that you would be is saying, okay, well, before you ascend to heaven, yeah. You know, like, I'm going to test you on Facebook first. <laughs> you know, and if you're failing the Facebook, maybe yeah. you should take a couple extra years, you know, and eat a little healthier before you ascend yeah. to heaven. Now, you see, um, individual freedom and free will, we have gone overboard. Sometimes we forget what is our what is it really about individual freedom and individual free will or the free will? Okay. You know, I'm, I'm just looking for a metaphor. It's like, look at it. If you give a powerful gun to a baby and every time the baby gets angry, he, he shoots a few people here and there, that is not the image that we're talking about freedom here. You know, it's not what we want to do. Freedom comes with obligations. Freedom comes with maturity as we gain our... Now, the question is that we have to, to make enough effort so that we, we discover who we are as individuals. You know... In the Baha'i writings, for example, it says, I love thy creation, therefore I created. God speaks to man and he says, I love that creation and therefore I created you. And in the Bible it says, I created you in the image of God. The image of God is the qualities and the virtues of love, compassion, creativity, you know, all the virtues that God has, these are repository given to man. Man is created in the image of God with the spiritual qualities and the abilities. These abilities are actually dormant in man. And our 100 year in this planetary world is to actually exercise those qualities, those virtues, put them into action so they become activated. It's like an iPhone, you have many qualities in it, but you have to pay to get activated, right? <laughs> it's the same thing with spiritual qualities. We all have these about 300 virtues, and we have to activate them. And this physical reality is the arena in which we actually go and practice these qualities. 
And as we practice them, we activate those qualities. That's where the freedom means. When I said we need the freedom, freedom is to acquire the qualities that are going to free us from our animal side. Because we have the physical animal side of us who is real and we need that animal side because we need to give children, to give life, to, to uh, feed ourselves, to you know protect ourselves. This is the physical reality. The cocoon has to be protected so that we live in a full condition of the 100 year or so that we are supposed to live here. So we have to protect the physical reality in which we live. But freedom does not mean that we are not here to acquire those qualities that we need. You know, so basically one of the important goal is to acquire those spiritual qualities that we need so that when we are free, the cocoon is <laughs> closing down its, its business here in this reality, we are ready to go to the next spiritual one. So that's the first part of the freedom. And then the freedom is also meant that we are not going to infringe on the rights of others. We have to be respectful. And for that, Baha'u'llah, the founder of Baha'i Faith, he said that it's unbelievable. And this is the most powerful thing that I have ever felt about this physical reality, is that he says that you have to prefer your brethren more than yourself. Now, what does that mean? The implication is that every 1,000 years, the spiritual leaders that come, we call them prophet, manifestation, whatever name we give it to them, avatar, they come and they bring us to another level of spiritual understanding. For example, at the time of, let's say, Buddha, he says, for example, do not do hateful to others. If there is something hateful to others, do not do it to yourself or to others, you know? If it's hateful to you, don't do it to others. Or, uh, or other teachers. And But slowly, Jesus, for example, come and say, you have to love your brother the same than yourself. Now, Baha'u'llah comes and says, no, no more equal to yourself. You have to go beyond yourself. You have to love them even more than yourself. So suddenly, we are passing from, from the hateful to the equal, and now you have to go beyond the, the, the so you, you, are, you are a little bit minus, now you become equal, and now you have to be a plus. So you are changing your, because spirituality is evolving, we are becoming more mature after 6,000 years of evolution, since the time of Abraham and Adam and so on, we now reach a point in which we have to become more loving to others than to ourselves more aware that the others have to be given preference. It's not as an easy task to give preference to others. Oh my God, it's such a difficult thing because you're always worried. Okay, if I give preference to you, will you give preference to me? Will I also have some food left after I give you all my food? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That those, those reality comes to our mind. But as we develop those qualities of preferring others, then so the whole purpose of that discussion here is to say that maturity is gradually emerging. And as we are becoming more mature, mature, then basically we become more conscious about the need of others. 
one quality, for example, in all the holy writings, it says you have to be fasting. During fasting, you are being careful about what you ingest in your own body, but at the same time, fasting has a higher aim. It's to make you spiritually more conscious. First of all, you reduce your desires, but at the same time, you become more mindful of the other people that they may learn about hunger. So many people are hunger, hungry in this world. So as you fast, you become more conscious that, oh my God, hunger has some problem. <laughs> so, and so many people are hungry in the world. It brings your consciousness higher level. And that's essentially, if you, that's the taking the food of your mouth and being able to provide that food to, to somebody other, else. Can you imagine what a beautiful act it is? It's an extraordinary act. Well, and yeah, like if somebody started a global movement on like a day or at a period of time, so like everybody who has food accessibility, give that to somebody who does not have food accessibility. Wow, wow, and that's so in beautiful. The, in, and on one day or one point in time, the tables were completely turned that the people who had no food had food and the people of oh, food wow. had no food. Like it would be, oh, wow, it would wow. be incredible. It's, you know, it, just it, just like uh, just like for simply like an understanding. Yes, yes, and, you know, and that those are the type of movement that are slowly and slowly emerging all over the world. They are, absolutely. They, yeah, and that's what I'm basically saying, that individual exercise of the free will is free will towards something that unites us, that builds us, our soul, our spirit, our bodies in a positive way and not in a destructive way. So that was my point here, is that standard every 1,000 years, we have a standard that appears in the planet. Those prophets of God, these teachers, manifestation of God, they give us the standard. And our life, we measure it according to the standard. It's not a human standard anymore. It's spiritual standard. Because human standards are very much egoistically oriented. Whereas spiritual standards are highly divine oriented. And so those spiritual standards are given every 1,000 years, and we measure our own, not yours, mine. <laughs> Meaning that I am not pointing finger to other people saying that, oh, you are not doing what you are supposed to do. No, I, you know, when actually, if you look at your finger, when you point a finger to somebody, you have one finger going out and three finger going towards you. Oh, so basically, so, so basically, so basically, when like you that. say you, basically look at yourself, you have three fingers going to you, so yep. what are you pointing at? So it's the same <laughs> thing, you see? So I'm basically saying that this is to, this is an awareness of ourselves. We have to be careful that these values, these standards, we have to be always remembering ourselves, reminding ourselves, because we fall into that forgetfulness. We forget who we are, why we have been created. We forget our, our true soul, our spirit. And by the way, we all have a supercomputer called the brain. It's so powerful. And we just need to find a way to use it better and more. And so as we learn that, and that was 
my beautiful work. I loved it when I was with the African pygmies in the jungles of Africa. I could see these people have so much capacity, but sometimes we neglect because we said they don't know how to read and write, but they have a wisdom. They have lived for 5,000 years in the forest and their wisdom through their medication and medicine and so on are so far more advanced than what we have. So basically I'm saying every people, every person in the world has been given the ability to think for themselves and to feel for themselves. And these, we have to control it. It's like a mirror. If I turn my heart towards material things, it will reflect the ego material thing. If I turn my heart towards spiritual things, then it will reflect the spiritual thing. It's a decision that we have to take every day when we wake up. Am I going to turn the mirror of my heart towards the negative or am I going to turn the mirror into positive? This decision is fundamental. Every morning, we need to make that decision. Otherwise, we have wasted. Because every moment, there could be some negative feeling that comes to us. And if we don't overcome with positive, we sink into the very negative mode. And then we are lost in it. See, and you know, again, as you're explaining this, you know, like some of the, the thoughts that immediately come to my mind are that um, do is overconsumption in Western culture, or just is overconsumption in our our world in general, no matter where you live or what your philosophy or what your code of your life is, just overconsumption period of material things. Is that the the same flip as when it's um, when we have too much food, so we can't appreciate not having enough food. When we have too much water, so we can't appreciate being thirsty. You know, like like is this the flip that was saying? Okay, well, we are over-consuming right now. Like we are making it so much more, um, or we have so much more means. We have so much more opportunity now to be able to over-consume, but it's not the path to go on. The same reason why it's not the right path to to over-consume food or over-consume water or over-consume self and not have a reflection of like our community outwardly. Like, is, is this a way to be able to awaken us to say, okay, well, we need some material things to survive. Absolutely. But you need to understand overconsumption to appreciate having nothing to find that balance in the middle. You know, so it's like, well, we all don't have to live outside on the street. But we all don't necessarily need to live in 10,000 square foot houses. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, where's the happy medium? So, it's yes. like, you know, we're on this complete flux, this huge swing towards overconsumption. You know, but you see and I feel and I talk to people all the time about, like, not caring about having these things anymore or, you know, just, like, shedding material things for their lives or finding ways to be able to give back. And, again, like, I see this this cultural shift coming like you like you see like people banding together people you know shedding material things people focusing a lot more on like what like community and wanting to be a part of something and, like, and, and, and you can see that in the for example car sharing yeah you know people say that well do i need really to have a car when i'm using it so little and i need to go from point a to point b well why not share a car in a collective way 
you can see more and more and more consciousness and more solution, physical, real solution. Coming. Which started off as carpooling. That's right. So that's the evolution. That's, we all have our car. Now right. it's like, well, I'm going to the same general place as you or the same place as ride together. Now suddenly, but, you know what will happen? And it's happening already. All the garages of the building, of the houses become empty. Well, in the high-rise buildings, parking. yeah, they're starting to retrofit some of the underground parking exactly. for extra space. And now. all the parking lots that we have, so many parking in the city, become suddenly empty places. You can imagine the benefit of sharing together resources is extraordinary. And this is just a small example of what's happening. And exactly as you said, it's so essential that we become aware of the need of coming together and uh, collaboration. Yes. So then I got I got a question for you here too. So if everything changes every thousand years and we feel as though like this, this change every thousand years is this refinement to the afterlife. Why at that point, why does it stop there? Why do you think it, we look at it as that it's a refinement to be able to get us to after this this image of God? Like, where why does the thousand year cycle stop there? Okay, it does not stop. That's the beauty. Every one thousand year, we're evolving to another stage. We have reached now the global stage. But doesn't mean we have reached a universal stage. Doesn't mean that there are not other creatures in other planets. That doesn't mean that we have this huge, huge universal global system. You know? So we have is, a long way to go before oh, we even get to oh, like the the afterlife concept where it's like we need to unify our world so that exactly. then if when we come in contact with other species and other planets, we can deal with that probably because just like how we have conflict with inside of our world, we there'll be conflict with those worlds and then we'll connect with those worlds and it'll be two planets worth of species and then yeah. you'll come in contact with a third or fourth or fifth. That's right. Oh. You, you know, in the Baha'i writing, Baha'u'llah said that every planet has its own creatures. So that means they don't look like us. They may have completely different things, but we still have a long way to go. That's one way to think about it. The other way is that here on this global planet, we have no idea truly who we are as human beings. We are not yeah. just an animal who was, some people call it an ape, that has just started to learn how to read and write and do a few sketches and say that that's it. My, this is not even the beginning of our evolution. We are spiritual beings. We are going to be more in arts and in sciences. We're going to develop our qualities. We're going to develop our relationships. We're going to start to become human beings for which we have been. So we're just evolving to that stage in which finally we are going to be not any more fearful. Look up how many keys you probably have in your pocket, in my pocket, because we're fearful of other people. We have so many locks in our doors. Why? Because we're still limited. We still think that peace is absence of war. No, peace has nothing to do with war. <laughs> war is the worst condition that we can ever be. Being in peace is far greater. It's a love, is a happiness, is harmony, is something that we have never experienced yet. You see what I'm saying? So basically, 
we still are limited by our own cage in which we have created and we're still living in the limitation of our own cage so when we're going to be free from these cages of fear of anxiety of depression of um, individualism of loneliness when we're going to be shedding all this fearful mode of hunger anxiety lack of money lack of this lack of that lack 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 so many things that we're lacking that it is taking our thinking and our heart space so much in our brain that we don't have really time to express what is the positive part of our being so we have the evolution of man will open up that purity of the thinking, the mode in which we are going to finally flourish in a civilization. So we will have both internal growth, spiritual growth, and materially, I would call it a kind of balanced, you know, moderation. When you eat too much or you don't eat enough, it's not moderation. So therefore, there is a middle point, the moderation level comes in. When we will have a life of moderation in everything, then suddenly so much resources will be released for other people to share. When they share their beauty, you are going to enjoy the beauty of your neighbor because they now have resources that they can share with you and you have resources that you can share with them and so suddenly we are a little bit equalizing it but at the same time we are making it more moderate so therefore we are going to release a lot of resources that are locked in because of our ego of our selfishness and the civilization of man will become extraordinary it's so already do you, do you feel like that um you know like some of these more tribal villages that you've been to, like arguably, like you could say that they're a lot further down the road oh, than what we are. are. Oh, and simply are. because like when you have less, there's less balance to be achieved. That's right. So like, and then everybody kind of assumes their role, you know, like you have less food, you know, so there needs to be better balance, just organically needs to be better balance. You know, like <laughs> you have less accommodation, so they need to be better balanced. Exactly. You know, like, you know, you have less people, so you just need to be better balanced. Yeah. You know, like everybody has to fit their role with inside of the community. But then we just, we've complicated things to such a degree. And that's where, you know, it looks like that we've struggled is by creating these cities, these provinces, yeah. these countries and this, this global community. And now we're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we get back to the kind of like that singular tribe, exactly. but there being 7 billion people in it <laughs> instead of 75 or 100? Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, where, where it's in us and we have to shed a lot of these things. And like a lot of we, we perceive these people and these tribes and these villages to be so rudimentary or we they need help. Primitive. They need this, <laughs> get primitive. And it's like, <laughs> oh but God. like they're further down the road than like what yeah. we are in an exactly. exponential amount of Absolutely. ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Because technology does not define a population technology is an instrument is a tool i need shoes to walk but doesn't mean that i am my shoes <laughs> it doesn't mean you need the shoes to be able to walk yeah it's just slightly more comfortable but that, it doesn't even right. mean it's like you know and a prime example of that is that you know like look what we did with technology well you know we went from basically no souls yeah. to the souls that nike had yeah. gave us tons of ankle and knee and hip yeah. issues that yeah. we're still trying to recover yeah. from today now we've gone back 
to next to no soles on our shoes. You know, so it's like, well, okay, well, it's comfortable to have some soles on your shoes, be able to walk on the ground because the ground sucks to walk on with bare feet. But we don't need this abundance, this overconsumption, this this huge amount of support. We just need a little bit. Yes. So uh, coming back to the original discussion we have, you see, every, for example, we pass from the evolution, from the family, to the tribe, to the city, to the country, and now we have entered for 1,000 years. We have about 200 years that has passed. We have 800 more years to go until a new teacher comes, and he will take us to another level of civilization. So every 1,000 years, so it has no beginning and no end. Religion or teachers of God have no beginning and no end. So that means that we will have more and more teachers coming every about 1,000 years. Now, the beauty about all this evolution is that they set up the standard upon which we can look at and we can examine. Now, I give you an example of how one of the revelation of the books of the Baha'i faith are. Baha'u'llah, who was born in Iran, when he taught, for example, unity of men and women, He said that if you have a daughter and a son in the family and you don't have the physical, the material means to educate both and you have to educate one of them, you have to teach the girl. You have to choose the girl because she becomes the mother and the educator of the next generation. Now, this is a revolution 200 years ago saying that in a population, well, unfortunately, the Muslim ruling in Iran was controlling the minds and the souls and the heart of every person in on that day. So the clergy didn't hate that. And so he got, through his teaching, he got in, was put in prison and exiled for 40 years of his life. He was in prison and exiled. Like all the teachers that came, precedent to him, they were also put in prison and exiled and crucified and killed and, (laughs) you know, rejected. Baha'u'llah also, when he came with the teaching, he got rejected. Well, and you do see that, you know, through, you know, people, you know, like the gentleman that you're talking about, or like Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela, or like like all these people have come, like where these people have come to like waken us up saying like, you guys need to start paying attention. Like the persecution immediately follows. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so basically he was put in a prison, but in the prison, he had six secretary and they were writing. They had at that time, there was no pen. So they had, you know, the feather and they had the ink and they had paper. And Baha'u'llah would walk and he will dictate the first sentence of the first book to the first secretary. Then he would walk, he'd talk to the second secretary, first sentence of the second book to the second secretary. First sentence to the third book to the third. So he would reveal six books at the same time. And these books are heavy books. And today, scientists all over the world, some people do not accept that a new teacher has come. And they are trying to find something wrong among the 100 volumes of books that Baha'u'llah has written. 
they cannot find something a mistake because he not only taught about how the next 1000 year will look like but he also make prophecies about the future how people will evolve what are the needs of the future and so on so you have now a guidance a standard for the next 1000 years how societies will be formed how globally we will emerge how we are going to build communities neighborhood relationship between husband and wife how the socially we will be so he wrote all the subject imagine out of 100 volumes of books scientists in the world who are opposing have not found one single mistake in the whole of these 100 volumes of books and you know science is such that a professor writes a book after five years you look at it this is too old we have to throw that book and put another book another five study. years would be a pretty pretty advanced book uh, too you know right. it's almost like five minutes now that, right? right so yeah absolutely. so basic but imagine this man in the prison he reveals books that scientists today the, the reason why i say that is that these books oh my god oh my god oh my god when you read some text you wonder how beautiful that could be how beautiful the world civilization will be how we are going to come to a glorious age of evolu evolution of progress how, how our soul will be retrained re-educated how our mind will purify how our action how our physical body will look how our food will look like you have all this writing explaining the future of the world so when you read these books naturally you are transformed and naturally you you rotate around this miracle that has happened every 1000 year this miracle of a man comes with knowledge experience imagine jesus christ for example 2000 years ago he was totally illiterate he didn't know how to read and write but he revealed the message that 2000 years later still we are using can you imagine the power of the almighty creator who reveals to an illiterate man something he speaks 40 years later the disciples remember what he said and they wrote it down but the message that he left was so profoundly transforming loving you know so i'm saying the power of the creator is so extraordinary that you have this and then we are left now with this amazing knowledge and we i invite people to investigate for themselves because the first teaching principle of the baha'i faith is independent investigation of truth that means that you have to do your search by yourself my dear brother my dear sister you are on your own you want to know you go and investigate for yourself because truth See, is that, not something that is given to you you have to do the effort to go for your search for yourself See, and you know, and like these are the things that, you know, like when you're when you're talking about this with like Baha'i principles, you know, and looking at like Taoist philosophy and like, you know, things like this, like um, that, like the freedom to be able to say, like, you need to understand your path. That's like, right. You need to be able to clearly define what this path looks like exactly. to you. And it's not a search that just stops. It's a search that is today it's tomorrow it's in a month from now it's in a year from now and it's is for a lifetime because it just doesn't just stop no and no. that's the part that i find like the beauty of and that's always one of the biggest parts that i've had you know with like organized religion up until this point 
is that it was like, just let me tell you the way it is. Yeah. Wake up every day. I'm going to tell you this is what you need to. I'm like, yeah. I just, it, yeah. it just seems outdated. No, and like what you're saying, where like yeah. things come every yeah. like thousand years. It's like, well, we, like I need, I, I have a thirst inside of me. I know for investigation, for, for truth, for what I feel like is truth, for like, like a quest. I, I'm an adventurer of life. Like I love to express and to understand and to be in different environments, I love to be able to learn. Yeah. So like I can't say that I could just follow one singular path. It just does not seem right. It does not feel it does not feel, it doesn't sit right, it doesn't feel organic to who I am because there's always this part of me that says there's something different. And if there wasn't something different, so you and I would not be sitting here today. Yeah. I would have never started this yeah. podcast. That's right. <laughs> I would have never met Ethan. We yeah. would have never yeah. met. Like yeah. I would never want to like hear what you have to say because yeah. if I was an entrenched Christian, I don't know if I would be sitting down here trying to be like, yeah. let me tell you or let me hear your story because there's something in there that'll be of great value to me, That's of right. great benefit to me. And it, it will make you a better Christian because suddenly you discover that I have to go back to the origin and see what truly Christ was saying with the vision that you are giving, with the talk that you are giving, can I find in my own scripture? And believe me, you will find in your own scriptures because all faith, all religion have two sides. They have the spiritual holy writings and they have the material side. Spiritually, all religions say the same thing. But materially, they change according to the condition and the culture and the language of the places that they came. This material side of religion changes time to time. But the spiritual content are always the same. So when I'm talking, everything that I said applies to Christianity, applies to Islam, applies to Buddhism, applies to any of the religions of the world. Because it's the same religion we're talking about. We're not talking about a different religion. We're talking about the religion of God. We're not See, talking a lot about of people religion. won't do Like a lot of people of our faith refuse to look at it like that. Because it has to just be Christian. It has to be just Catholic. It has to be just Muslim. Okay, a lot so of the beauty is that each of these prophets, when they come, they say, I have many things to tell you. For example, Christ. He said, I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will teach you all the truth. And he said, I will come back. That means that he's not saying that that's it. I will never come back. He says, I have many things to tell you, but you cannot understand it now. So I will come back. And then in 1,000 years, I will tell you more. You see what I'm saying? So each of the teachers of God is preparing you, is first of all confirming the past. Your grade five, the teacher of grade five comes and he says, oh, thank you so much for grade four. He prepared you well. She prepared you very well to come to grade five. Now you're in grade five, I teach you, but also be ready because after grade five, you are going to go to grade six. So I'm going to give you what you need for today, but be prepared because after grade May 5, another teacher will come. He will teach you what I cannot teach you right now because you are not ready. I could teach you everything, but you are not ready for it. So let me tell you that I will come back. So that's what Christ said to people. That's what Muhammad said. That's what Buddha said to people. That's what Krishna said to all people. So all these teachers always have said, I will come back. 
and I will continue this education that you have started. Because my dear brother, my dear sister, you are just at the beginning of your own evolution, but you cannot understand everything now. Sorry, but I will come back and I will teach you more. And so that's why every 1,000 years, we are evolving. And so we, it's not the end of it. And I just give you an example about how amazingly in 1844, which was the return according to the Templars, you know, the Templars mm -hmm. were the Christian Templars. They were the scientists of the Christianity and they were the builders and they were the most advanced German. They studied the Bible deeply and they came to the conclusion that Christ will come back. They look at the return of Christ, for example, and they say, Jesus said, Carmel will see the glory of the Lord. Carmel is a mountain in Haifa, Israel. Jesus was walking on that mountain and he says, I will come back on the mountain of Carmel. So that means that already he gives a location where he will come back. So the Templars in 1844, they were studying and they said, oh, according to the calculation, Jesus will come back first on the mountain of Carmel. So Carmel, Israel, the Holy Land is identified. The mountain is where the location is in the other. Then he said, Jesus was on Mount Oliver and they asked him, but you always say that you come back. When do you come back? And Jesus says, I refer you to the chapter of Daniel, where he says, 2,300 days will pass before the sanctuary, night and day will pass before the sanctuary is purified. So then the Templars, they studied that and they came to the, okay, 2,300 years, because Jesus said days mean years. So then they came to the conclusion that Jerusalem had been put war, fire, and so on. They came to the conclusion that after 1843-1844, Christ will come back, according to their own calculation. So they all moved to the mountain of Carmel in Israel and the Holy Land on the top of the mountain and they built their houses. And on the houses, they say, the Lord is coming. So basically what I'm saying is that in 1844, just to confirm how indep independent investigation of truth has to be independent, when Bob came in Iran, in the city of Shiraz, the first person who found him through prayers and meditation, he did not proclaim that I am the one that you have been waiting for me. People were expecting that the time has come for the return of the prophet Muhammad for the return of the prophet Jesus Christ. So among these scholars who were searching, one of them was called Mullah Hussein, but we will pass that. And he came and he discovered that, oh my God, the one that I have been looking for, I found him. His name is the Bob, the gate. But after he found him, the Bob said, you are not going to tell anybody you have to keep your mouth shut. And 18 other people have to find me independently through their own dreams, through their own vision, through their own holy writings. 
through their own uh, prayers and meditations, they will have to find me. And believe me, within a few months, 17 other people, including one woman, through dreams, prayers, readings, they discovered that the bulb had come. The time of the 1844 had come, and they, through their own search, came from different parts of Iran, and they came all to the city of Shiraz, except uh, the lady who was Tahere, one of the greatest poetess of Iran. If you look at her name, her poetry are internationally revered. And she was the first woman to stand up and take the veil out of her face. In a country at that time, no woman was allowed to share ever their face. She was the first woman in Iran, her name Tahereh, to take the veil. And she said, and she was very knowledgeable. She said, nobody can stop the emancipation of women. And she was the first one to proclaim, 1844, the equality of the men and women in sight of God and opportunities. But what I'm basically saying... What happened to her? Like what, what, what? She was killed. She was hanged. And again, you know, like anybody who has like a progressive outlook on life or the direction of oh, the way the world oh, is going, you know, oh, yeah. you know, ultimate persecution. Yeah. And you see it time oh, and yeah. time again. Oh, yeah. She was an extraordinary woman. And there are movies are going to be made. By the way, on the 28th, there's going to be of October this month, there's going to be a worldwide celebration of the 200th anniversary of the birth of the Bob. All over the world, every city, every locality will celebrate the 200th anniversary of the birth of the Bob, who proclaimed in 1844 the coming of all the religions, the promises of all the religion faith have been promised, the fulfillment has come, and this is going to be a great day. And uh, I invite anybody who is interested Contact your podcast and I will send them an invitation to come to one of the areas that you live. You are in Langley. I'm sure the Baha'is of Langley will celebrate together any cities in the world. That's happening. It's an extraordinary occasion to discover another dimension of how this physical reality is going to be more specialized. Despite the negative forces, there are also positive forces that are balancing the negative forces until it's a, you know, light and darkness are walking together, but light is slowly and slowly taking over. Yeah. And thank you so much for giving this opportunity to share with you this. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I think it, the reason why like these things are, are so critical is because, you know, really what it comes down to is that, you know, we need more people to publicly come out and say, you know, like, you know, yes, I may believe in this certain way of life, you know, like whatever that may be, but that doesn't supersede my belief that we all need to be together. That's right. And That's we right. like, we need more leaders to be able to say like, like, this is really what it's all about. Like, this is really 
like the teachings of these prophets like this is really like how we should be living in societies you know like we're yes we can all have individual identity nobody's trying to take that away from anybody you can believe whatever you want to believe in but the core of that is we need to get back to being faithful to one another that's right i just finish with an example of what you say metaphor think of a mountain we're climbing from different direction that same mountain and at the top we're all meeting together but the climbing can come from any direction so we are in our journey and we are all climbing toward the same point because unity is only one truth is only one actually muhammad he said that truth is one and ignorant people have divided it <laughs> so basically what i'm saying is that we are like a mountain coming from different direction and we're all climbing the mountain of truth and we will all come together in united because that's what destiny is about is keeping our diversity protecting preserving our diversity the beauty is in diversity is like a garden we have flowers of many many colors you say oh that garden is so beautiful it's because of its diversity you say if that garden was all the same plant all the same color all the same thing you would say oh my god what is that garden it's not a garden the same thing with human being it's unity and diversity means flowers of one garden you know drops of one ocean leaves of one tree all these beautiful metaphors are just guiding us towards unity that we are part of one trunk, uh, part of one ocean, and we are now come together where we appreciate our diversity rather than being afraid of it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sahil. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. And again, everybody, um, you know, that has, has spent the time, you know, like watching this, you know, like on YouTube or, you know, anybody spent the time watching on Facebook and our Facebook feed got cut off there. Um, I'm not too sure when, but you know, this will be posted up on, you know, on YouTube. So people have a reference to go back to and, you know, like I'll launch the actual uh, podcast itself uh, later on this afternoon. So everybody has a reference to go back to, but uh, thanks for joining us live and have a wonderful day.